0: Are your clients overpaying for their time tracking app? Want to get them the best price on a robust mobile time tracking solution that includes job costing, GPS tracking, and syncs with QuickBooks Online, Xero, Sage, ADP, and Zapier? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Clock Shark, later in the episode. All arrows are pointing to a remote working. Well, and coronavirus, too. Coronavirus is that's what I was doing next, though. Except for let's keep perspective on the coronavirus right like your mm-hmm. your the odds of you getting ransomware is much higher than yes
1: that. business email threat right much yeah. riskier than coronavirus <laughs>
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Splashtop. Do you find yourself running around to multiple locations to access computers and files during the tax season? Splashtop is a reliable and secure remote access tool allowing you to access computers from anywhere, whether it's a client's computer running QuickBooks desktop or your favorite tax software running on a computer in your office. You'll always be connected and productive from home, the office, or even on the road because Splashtop supports your tablet and smartphone devices. You can even remote print documents like 1099s and securely transfer files. Splashtop is giving Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners a week of free Splashtop Business Access Pro. And if you sign up by March 13th, you'll be entered into a drawing to win one year free license head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash splashtop. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward S-P-L-A-S-H-T-O-P. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. If you're focused on niche clients that are architects, engineers, consultants, or lawyers, BQE is the app for them. And BQE Succeed is the conference for you to best connect with companies in those niches. BQE Succeed is happening from May 31st to June 3rd, 2020, at the Encore at Wynn Las Vegas. And listeners can get $200 off registration by using code CAP2020. The Cloud Accounting Podcast will be there, will you? Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash BQE SUCCEED. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash
1: BQE Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Another week, Blake. Another week. And a Shark Tank host got business email compromised. We talk about
0: this, right? Every other week, I feel like we talk about somebody paying a bill that was a fake
1: bill that they got an email for. It's sad because this happens all the time. And the only reason this got reported on CNN is because it's a celebrity. Barbara uh, Kokorin, is that how you say her last name? I think so. She's the real estate magnate who sold her real estate company and is now a shark tank shark. She lost, how, what was it? $388,700.
0: TMZ actually broke the story and, and, t- and tweeted about it first. And she actually put a, a comment on it about how it's a lesson learned. Uh, Two things that I liked about the article. And one day when the Cloud Accounting Podcast is this global phenomenon where we're making so much money, we will be able to say, I was upset at first, but then remembered it was only money.
1: That is what Barbara Kokorin told the uh, magazine. I don't know what magazine she was talking to. (laughs) Yep. When when $400,000 is no big deal. It's only money. (laughs) 30,000 people reported being a victim of that scam last year. Yeah. Let's talk about exactly what happened here. Because it is so common and so easy to prevent. That's the really sad thing about this.
0: If her bookkeeper listened to the Cloud Accounting podcast, this would not have happened.
1: So a scammer faked an email from her assistant to her bookkeeper sending an invoice for a renovation payment on a property. Then the bookkeeper wired the $388,700 to that fake invoice bank account. And once you wire, right? Right. You're not getting it back if it's going out of the country. So like, there's a lot of things wrong with this, right? One, why does the bookkeeper have wire transfer authority? Separation of duties, you don't have the person keeping the records, moving the money. Treasury management 101. There's, There's no approvals. No approvals going on here. It's just an automatic payment. No threshold of approvals. And the fact that the whole thing happens via email, which is, as we have discussed, not secure.
0: They're saying this, there was nothing suspicious about this because the amount fit in, what they expected, like they're used to doing $400,000 wire transfers.
1: Well, so we don't know because the article doesn't provide a lot of information, but we can guess because I spotted a, an article about this problem in the Wall Street Journal. And most of the time, what is happening now, this article, if you want to go check it out, is called Email Scammers Are Savvier and More Successful Than Ever. And it's, it's about some FBI data on this problem. Specifically. And apparently, the trend is now that in the past, it used to be that scammers would spoof an email address. So they would send it from a different domain, but it would look like yours, David. And then that email would be going to your bookkeeper or your CFO or whoever's in charge of the bank account. It looks like it's coming from you, but there's something still quite off about it.
0: Yeah. Like it, it'll say, Blake Oliver, but the real email address will be david at davidleary.com and it'll just, yeah. if you're if you're not paying attention, you'll just think it was from Blake.
1: Like a misspelled domain or something like that, right? Um, and most email software now can catch that and they put a big red warning, like on my Gmail account. I don't know if you ever see this, but if, if somebody sends me an email message that has their name, but it came from like an email service they're using and it's not exactly from their account, you get a big warning. So now what the scammers have done is they've upgraded. and Now they're just hacking accounts. And using the information in that account to figure out who to scam. So they may have, we don't know, but they may have hacked that assistant's email account and then saw, okay, here are similar invoices that this assistant has received and forwarded to the bookkeeper. So I'm just going to use the exact same process, make it look very similar, and send a fake invoice. Then that's really hard to detect. And, and they actually send it from that account. So there's no warning because it's coming from
0: the real person's email account. So everything looks real about it. Yep.
1: Yeah, everything looks real. Uh and, and so the stats from the FBI in this Wall Street Journal article are really scary. There were twenty-three thousand seven hundred and seventy-five complaints of business email and email account compromises in twenty nineteen, up from twenty thousand the prior year, estimated losses annually more than one point seven billion in twenty nineteen. And that's up from one point two billion in twenty eighteen. Uh, and there's some charts where, I think you said, it looks like an exponential growth curve. Oh, about
0: a ransomware.
1: Yeah. So, like back in 2014, it was l- less than $200 million. And now it's up over f- you know, 1.5, 1 point, what did I just say? 1.8 million? 1.7 billion? Sorry. It's crazy.
0: So, the magazine that she was quoted in was People Magazine. When TMZ and People Magazine are covering bookkeeper fraud. <laughs> we are at a whole new, yeah. new level. So like that's the goal, folks. You don't want your bookkeeper or if your accounting firm or your bookkeeping firm to be in People Magazine. Like, like, that should not be
1: your goal at this point. Well, my top story this week is about my city, Los Angeles. And the state of California, which you know, I love to talk about the problems we have here in California, David. Is the accounting system done? Is this good? Like, they finally built their billion dollar ERP system. Is it done? Oh, no, I forgot about that. We'll have to check oh. in. I don't, it's not, there's been no announcement. So I assume that we're continuing to spend building this thing. Anyway, so San Francisco has been the most expensive housing market in the United States for years, right? It's a given. The Bay Area super expensive. Well, yes. I'm happy to report that my city, Los Angeles, is now in first place, at least according to one report. We are now the least affordable housing market in the country, beating San Francisco, which has a median home price of $908,750. The National Association of Realtors has said that California in general is the least affordable place to live in the US. So we're the least affordable city in the least affordable state. Uh, and how how was that decided? Well, the National Association of Home Builders and the Wells Fargo Housing Opportunity Index gave us the title of least affordable housing market because only 11.3% of homes sold during the fourth quarter of 2019 were affordable to families earning the area's median income of 73100 So if you compare the price of homes here to the median income, which is lower than in the Bay Area, that makes us less affordable. And do you know where Californians are going, David? To Arizona and Nevada. Las Vegas is the number one place. So why did I bring this up? Well, because we talk a lot about remote work. And I think that this is one of the big factors that's going to drive more and more companies to allow remote work. And remote work can be many different things. It might be working from home, but it also could be working in different offices. So a lot of companies now are setting up offices in suburbs in Las Vegas So, that their employees can relocate and work out of an office and they collaborate from office to office. And that's exactly the situation that my wife has at her company. She works for a large national health insurance company that has 50,000 employees. And she just met her boss this week because he works out of an office in Ohio. She works out of an office here in LA and her whole team is like in different offices. So, they don't actually work from home, but they work in different offices around the country. There's an interesting nuance about remote work. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're always working from home. So maybe that'll be a big trend.
0: All arrows are pointing to remote working.
1: Well, and coronavirus
0: too. Coronavirus, that's what I was doing next. Uh, Except for, let's keep perspective on the coronavirus, right? Like Mm -hmm. the odds of you getting ransomware is much higher than Yes,
1: business email threat, right? Much riskier than coronavirus. Because I think even if you do get sick, only, and I know it's terrible, but only like 2% of people – die from the coronavirus and it's mostly people who are already sick or older
0: i i've gotten some emails like i've noticed people are, in our industry now are some apps are using the coronavirus as a marketing and that happens a lot right people well it's people smart right 911 into a marketing tool they just do yeah,
1: yeah. well because people are paying attention uh so i did the i did the thing you're not supposed to do and i went and checked my 401k this morning <laughs> it's, oh. down t- it's down. it's down 10 percent so that's freaking some people out obviously
0: well if you're retiring next week
1: I spotted an article about the coronavirus uh, in accounting today. The SEC and PCAOB issued a joint statement on Wednesday about the impact of the coronavirus on audit firms. That's a that's a big challenge, is how do you do your year-end annual audit in China when everything is shut down and quarantined, right?
0: Oh, because you physically have to travel there.
1: It's tough. How do auditors go visit clients during the outbreak? And they're talking about doing some sort of relief for those uh, audit firms. And then there's also discussion about do I have to disclose the coronavirus risk in my 1231 filings? Because even though coronavirus wasn't a risk at that point, you still have to do some sort of like subsequent disclosures potentially. So like it's creating a lot of of work, extra work for folks.
0: But it's also a blessing in disguise, I think, for some companies. Under Armour, because you know you watch search terms about accounting and accounting mishaps, and so you see some – what companies are doing so under armor you know the sports clothing company or whatever yeah apparently they were they were misstating for years their uh revenue and their sales and it kind of caught up to them eventually but now with coronavirus they're able to like kind of blame all their losses right they're able to change the narrative now they have a story they can tell like oh <laughs> we're going to be impacted by the coronavirus they don't have to tell the real story which is the game they played caught up to them because now Nobody's going to dig into the numbers, right? Nobody's going to look at the articles that came out quarter after quarter after quarter. So, yeah. So, it's a blessing in disguise for some companies. Interesting. Should we get into uh, the big money? So, last week, there was a – it was still rumor status, I think, right? About Intuit acquiring
1: Credit Karma. We – well, the story broke, I think, the morning we recorded, and it was a Wall Street Journal exclusive. And it wasn't totally 100% confirmed.
0: Yeah, I think it went from uh, it was uh, in talks. With right, the,
1: they were like at the end of it, and it br- and then news leaked.
0: Yeah. So then the next morning, Intuit confirms that it has plans to acquire Credit Karma. Credit Karma has over 100 million registered users; 37 million are active monthly monthly users. They check their credit scores, shop for credit cards, loans, they file their taxes, and more. Intuit said they would pay 7.1 billion for Credit Karma, making it this Intuit's biggest ever acquisition. And one of the biggest in the category of fintech companies.
1: And of course, Intuit's best friend, ProPublica, wrote an article about this. And the article is called TurboTax's bid to buy free tax prep competitor might violate antitrust law, experts say. So the ProPublica reporter who's been on the whole free file story went and found some uh, antitrust law experts saying that uh, these are former Justice Department lawyers talking about how the Justice Department could stop this merger from happening and actually mentions the time when this did happen. Back in 2011, the Justice Department stopped H&R Block from acquiring Tax Act, which at the time was offering a free product and that was a threat to H&R Block and TurboTax. tax. Well, so I think the- they blocked Microsoft from buying it too, at one time. Really? Way back I mean, they. Today. It's. But when so I,
0: you're going back to the you know, '90s.
1: Well, and it always depends on the administration, of course. So they could block it, but the question is, well, with the Trump administration in place, which is much more friendly to mergers and acquisitions and whatnot, maybe they they won't. And I was thinking about this myself. Like, is the acquisition of Credit Karma really going to reduce choice for consumers? And I feel like. It would be crazy if Intuit did what you suggested, one of the things it could do, which is just shut down the free filing product for Credit Karma, the free tax product.
0: Well, well, the good thing is um, Intuit had their corporate earnings call this week. It came up, right? I think before we jump into that, to the call though, maybe touch on some other comments people have made about this. So Credit Karma, they launched in 2013, or sorry, they, they launched 2007, but in 2013, they launched a personal finance product similar to Mint. And then they launched TurboTax for free. And so really a lot of this is like they are a direct competitor and a disruptive threat. Yeah. It actually says that in the article here. Intuit had to make a play. They just had to. They were just being disrupted. And I've heard this said um, by people on the street. And Intuit's really good at taking a 45% growth company and PowerPointing them down to a – Ten percent growth company, right? Which is like, <laughs> right. Intuit's a huge boat, right? It's it's a big boat no. to, to to steer, and so there was a, another article on bank innovation. A couple of quotes in here. Um, While the short term gains for each company are clear, there is a good chance that in the long term, the deal leaves Credit Karma with a reduced brand equity and Intuit with seven billion dollars less. Neither have a ton to show for it. So that was uh, Peter Wanamaker, analyst at Forrester Research.
1: It seems like a lot of people are kind of skeptical. Uh, the Wirecutter published an article called "How to Cancel Your Credit Karma Account if You Hate the Intuit Acquisition." I think I saw that article.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, fly
1: by. I, I think there's a lot of people that feel still feel burned by the Mint acquisition and subsequent neglect of Mint, and probably some of these reporters <laughs> themselves who are using Mint. I, 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 just I have that feeling. You know, it did not build. Goodwill, and I don't mean in the accounting sense. Anyway,
0: yeah, they look back at the digital insights acquisition that Intuit bought in 2007, and then Mint. Like sometimes it just doesn't always work that way. To um, so quote, this is uh Ron Shovlin. He is from Cornerstone Advisors. He said Intuit has a poor track record of integrating acquis- acquisitions and making one plus one equal three in the retail banking space.
1: Yeah, so, so so maybe there is an argument for you know this not this shouldn't be able to happen because. Turbotax is super dominant. I don't think I mentioned the stat, but you know they've got like a two-thirds market share <laughs> in tax prep. So there is a really big incentive to not grow the credit karma tax filing for free, or neglect it, or whatever. Just the same way that Intuit had no incentive to grow Mint because they want to get all the people who would pay into a paid product. Yeah. So do you, you know, QuickBooks? Did you jump into the earnings call? Yeah, I. I mean, it's quite a lot. So I scanned it. I searched for certain terms. I noticed that Free File only came up once. As usual, the analysts are not really that interested in that, but they were super interested in the Credit Karma acquisition, obviously. When was this earnings call? It just happened, uh, right? I, th- I think it was Tuesday or Monday. It was the day after they announced. You, you read it, right, Dan? Yeah, I, I think uh, very uh,
0: loud hammer being uh, hit about that these are going to stay separate. Credit Karma is going to be a separate product. They just keep saying that over and over again. They mentioned that this is not a tax play. This is a personal finance play. I also, I don't know if you caught the video that Ken Lin, he's the, uh, I guess, founder CEO of uh, Credit Karma. He did with Sasan together. No, I didn't see that. From Credit Karma, like the vibe I was getting from him in the this little video they put on social media was almost like Credit Karma is almost looking at this as a merger, right? And less of an acquisition, uh, which I thought was kind of an interesting uh, view on this. The one thing that really like reading between the lines on this and where the next steps are, and we've talked about, I think this loosely before, personal finances for most people doesn't happen. The people that do it, it's a hobby. I think I've said this before, right? There's the very small percentage of people that use apps like Mint or Quicken or you need a budget. Mm -hmm. Reading between the lines on comments that Sasan made and comments that uh, Ken Lin made, I really could see some sort of product where, oh, hey... Credit Karma and Intuit and Mint. Here's access to my bank account. Here's access to all my loans and credit cards. Here's access to everything financial that I have. And you and your bots are just going to manually do stuff for me, or automatically. So if there's the lower credit card, you're just going to close this credit card and open that one and move my stuff over. Oh, my! There's a better loan for my boat. You're going to go and move that loan, and to where you're not going to do, you won't do any personal finance decisions. Kind of like, like a
1: personal finance concierge is the vision. Exactly.
0: So, I mean, there's it's kind of the best uh, analogy is like there's those new investment platforms. I think like Betterment, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's just bots moving your moving your portfolio around.
1: Yeah, it automatically rebalances your portfolio. Super easy to use, automated investing, yeah. robo investing. I think they call it.
0: Yeah, and so basically, they want to eliminate all this friction, right? Yeah. And then on the other side, they get to play middleman with the banks, because the banks they might do a hundred million dollar ad campaign. And 80% of that money basically brings in people that will never qualify for the loan. So the banks get to do targeted marketing and and actually reach people that's the right fit for that financial product or service.
1: You know, a lot of the stuff that comes out in these types of mergers tends to be very fluffy and you wonder if it's really ever going to happen. But I really do think that having this much information on people is going to be super valuable to Intuit. I, I think it's a really, really smart acquisition.
0: Sasan mentions that currently their their consumer finance division represented a $29 billion total addressable market. After they acquired Credit Karma, it expands it from $21 billion to $57 billion.
1: Uh, some other numbers that I spotted, second quarter revenue growth was 13%. But their online ecosystem revenue growth, which includes QuickBooks Online, was 35%, beating their target of 30%. So we're continuing to see online cloud accounting grow between 30 and 40% across all of these enterprise-sized uh, companies. QuickBooks Online Advanced, 75% of current QuickBooks Online Advanced customers upgraded from their existing QBO product. So... It's working. They are getting QBO customers to pay more for almost the same thing. (laughs) Some minor features. We'll talk about that when we get to the app updates. The consumer group, which includes TurboTax, I believe, only had growth of 8%, so lower than their overall growth, which kind of gives credence to the rationale for acquiring credit karma to add more of that consumer type of uh, options. And then uh, online International online revenue grew sixty percent. Finally, the last one is desktop ecosystem. They actually mentioned this separately, so the desktop ecosystem revenue was up one percent in the second quarter, so not declining. QuickBooks desktop enterprise revenue grew at a double digit pace. They said so does that mean more than ten percent? It has to a double digit pace right
0: well they that's pro- crazy I mean, it's always I think they can always do that because they sunset the one that's three years old, and so let's say you bought. I'm sorry, I don't even know what the current prices are for QuickBooks Desktop. But let's say three years ago, you bought QuickBooks Desktop yeah. for $299. And now it's getting sunsetted this year. It probably costs you $600 to re-up, right?
1: So well, like, they just
0: they... It, you always have somebody that's three years old now has to buy a product for more expensive. So you're always going to keep growing at 10% because they keep raising the price 10%.
1: Interesting. So I thought that they got rid of the buy it once licensing. Now you have to subscribe, right? For all the new... I don't know versions. We should. It's do. all subscription. So it's a desktop. It's a desktop program, but it's subscription based now. I think. I think so. Yeah. Which is, also probably helps that revenue number move. Yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing. So that continues to grow. So really good results from uh, from Intuit. So unfortunately, so, so
0: the ju- most mm-hmm. of the transcript was all Credit Karma, but there was a comment about TurboTax Live and QuickBooks Live. Okay. So um, TurboTax Live. I'm just going to read the quote from Sasan. And we're very pleased with the results that we're seeing, and it's in line with what we would expect through this early part of the season. And I think I would just remind that we are very early in our journey and going after this $20 billion market for transforming the assisted marketplace that we expect continued accelerated growth from TurboTax Live. So. It's not slowing down. I think what grew, they said it grew 3x last year. We've never seen real numbers, right, about TurboTax yeah, Live.
1: Yeah, it's still too small.
0: And then there are a comment in QuickBooks Live was, we remained encouraged by our early results with QuickBooks Live, part of our second big bet to connect people ex- people to experts opening access to a $10 billion bookkeeping opportunity. So you got uh, this $20 billion in TurboTax Live assisted. You got a $10 billion with QuickBooks Live. You got the consumer finance of $57 billion. Intuit is not messing around. They're going for some serious <laughs> slices of pie here um, and, on multiple fronts. One thing, though, I, I think could be fun for our listeners, I was thinking, Intuit could have spent that $7 billion on something else. And I'm thinking, what kind of cloud, cloud app acquisitions or um, small business type acquisitions in, in, in our world, right? Because we, we talk a lot more about small business, accounting, bookkeeping, not so yes. much personal finances. Yeah. So like, I would love for the listeners to tweet at us. Right, and let us know who they think they should have bought. I have some thoughts um, uh, that I,
1: I want to. Well, I want to hear that because what what could Intuit have bought for seven billion dollars other than credit karma? Uh,
0: they could have bought, for example, Brex, right, or a Divi, or or a Bento, to where now Intuit has a credit card. They could have bought Cedarus, somebody that's already been building a very successful QuickBooks Live type model. Right. And then, then yep. but not just they could have bought that or that. Like there could be, they could have bought like 30 companies. <laughs> they could have bought the whole ecosystem. They could have bought the whole zero ecosystem. Right. Like you, you know, <laughs> they could have bought niche apps. They could have bought like restaurant 365. Like there is a yeah. lot of plays they could have done. Now, obviously I'm not saying like you could successfully integrate 40 companies altogether, but like, I'd right. love to hear what other people think. Intuit should have spent that $7 billion on This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClockShark. In October of 2013, I stumbled upon a Twitter account for an unlaunched timesheet app and became ClockShark's very first Twitter follower. Today, ClockShark has grown into a highly rated and very much loved time tracking app that is now used by over 5,000 small businesses. The ClockShark team has built a time tracking app that adds what it takes to handle the unique challenges that face your clients who have mobile workforces. With features like crew tracking, scheduling, overtime, notifications, routes, geofencing, locations, job costing, budgeting, and reporting, you and your clients will be confident that their time tracking data is correct and perfectly synced with QuickBooks or ADP allowing payroll to be on time and accurate. While other time tracking apps are charging as much as $8 or more a month per employee, ClockShark offers the ClockShark standard plan for just $6 a month per employee. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash clockshark. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-A-R-K. ClockShark is built for how you
1: run your business. You know, I think this is a great transition point into, we've already gotten into it, but app news. Let's talk app news, right? Okay. Here's another app that Intuit could have bought, Carbon. But instead, they have inked a partnership to integrate Carbon deeply with Intuit ProConnect for their practice management solution. This was an announcement that went out over the wires. I caught the version on accounting web Intuit ProConnect for Tax Year 2020 will have their practice management solution powered by Carbon. There's not a ton about how the integration will work, but it says in the article, quote, after creating an account, tax professionals can now seamlessly navigate from Intuit Practice Management to Intuit ProConnect Tax Online and Lassert to confidently scope work, automate data collection, scale client onboarding, anticipate bottlenecks, and automate recurring work. And there will be deep links. From carbon into the Intuit tax products.
0: Well, it looks like the uh, Intuit Pro Series side of the fence uh, because it's a little bit more uh, focused at um, tax firms, right? But they've been on this partnership march. I noticed – I think they announced a few weeks back we talked uh, with DocuSign they're bringing in these third party tools in almost like a suite. It's it's not super clear like there's press releases like this but it's not really clear like what is the offering? How does this work? How do they all tie together? But there's some march happening and we're going to have to keep
1: watching this. Really really big news for Carbon because to be this deeply integrated with a tax product, that's kind of what Canopy was that's what Canopy was trying to build. They were going at it the other way trying to build their own tax product. I think this is smart because instead of Intuit trying to build a practice management product, which is going to suck most likely because they're tax software, now they're just partnering with guys who know how to do it. Uh, What else do we have in the world of app news? I got a story about our European challenger bank, Revolut. They raised $500 million in funding in a round led by TCV. You introduced me to Revolut a number of episodes ago. They're one of these app-based banks that started in Europe. They're big there. No physical branches. The app includes crypto and stock trading. They're looking to get a UK banking license. Right now, they have a Lithuanian one.
0: And they're headed toward the States as well.
1: Yes, they want to expand with this money into the US. So that's why this matters to our listeners in the States. And they're not business-focused
0: though. It's consumer banking, but they are – my understanding is the people that use them love them. And it's a very like, hey, look what I'm using. You're almost like in the early days of iPhone, like you check out this app. Then that person would be like, that's great. I'm going to put the app on my phone. Like people are doing that with
1: their bank. The quote from the founder and CEO, Nick Staronsky is, we're on a mission to build a global financial platform, a single app where our customers can manage all of their daily finances. And this investment demonstrates investor confidence in our business model. So they're going to try and get a US banking license in 2020 and expand here. So speaking of online banks, are you familiar with the site Quicksprout.com, Neil Patel? Quicksprout is his site, and he's like a marketing genius. And so I was really surprised when I saw an article on his blog called Best Online Business Banking for 2020. This must be some sort of SEO play. It's actually a pretty good article because it rounds up 10 online business banking solutions, a lot that I'd never heard of. And I'm wondering if you've heard of these, David. So uh, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but the two that stuck out to me were Novo.
0: Yep, familiar with them.
1: So Novo, it says that Novo integrates with business tools that you're already using, like Slack, Zero, and Zapier. So this is a bank that integrates with Zapier? That's pretty cool. I've never heard of anything like that. I'm actually searching for the integration right now to see like what you can actually do with Zapier and Novo. Apparently, when a new transaction is added... Oh, it has one trigger. <laughs> that's it. So when a new transaction is added, you can trigger something in uh, in Zapier. Well, that's kind of cool.
0: The apps would do this with QuickBooks. I'm sure with zero as well. You do the bare minimum. So you could say it works with QuickBooks and people do the bare minimum with Zapier so it like, connects to 1,500 apps. It's it's like If you're going to integrate with Zapier, people just do it right. Come on. Come on. <laughs>
1: the The other one in this article that has integrations that is mentioned is Aslo, A-Z-L-O. It says if you're a freelancer or launching a startup, Aslo is a top online exclusive business bank to consider. It's a, another one of those solutions that has no monthly fees, no overdraft fees, no minimum balance requirements, et cetera. And Quick says Aslo integrates with business tools like Square Stripe and QuickBooks.
0: Oh, and how so some of the I mean a lot of these newer banks too are when they're small business folks, like we've talked about before, they're building in the GL. Level right. type functionality, so you never have to leave the bank or leave the app. Um, some of the other ones I know, uh, a lot of people in our industry are are, are starting to real uh, relays out there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you, we actually have used Relay for the podcast because oh, yeah. I wanted to spin up a second bank account, and Relay has they're solving uh, and there. All these banks are starting. I think the ones that are smart are solving the accountant's use case. Yeah, right. You can invite a second user, invite, and so I was able to spin up a bank account really easily online, a secondary bank
1: account, and invite you. It was pretty convenient. Yeah, it's it's a good experience. So what's new in QuickBooks Online? I mentioned Intuit has 75% of the users on QuickBooks Online Advanced came from an upgrade. And so what features do you get when you upgrade? Well, they're continuing to add batch transaction functionality. So now you can enter batch bills in QBO Advanced. You can copy paste from Excel into the batch transactions panel. That's pretty cool. And you can batch select online payments and apply them to invoices. So it sounds
0: like less like, hey, we're just adding more functions to it and more of we're adding ways for you to use it in high volume.
1: They also uh, mentioned they now have AI-powered suggestions for payment due reminders. So when you select the dropdown to create a reminder workflow, it will suggest high priority reminder clients first. I'd have to actually see it to know what that means, but that's kind of a neat uh, use of AI to like figure out which clients you should remind first, because they owe you. Uh, and, and the closing of the blog post is my favorite. It says, quote, that's all for now. Until next time, as always, keep your feet on the ground and your books in the cloud.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs> that could easily be in our podcast tagline. Like, I we know, right? Not to use.
1: <laughs> Keep your feet on the ground and your books in the cloud. Oh, uh, that could be
0: our, our episode title. Yeah. Um, so quickly, uh, more Intuit news. Um, Misty Magia, she headed up the Intuit Pro Advisor and Education Programs at Intuit since 2017. She is stepping down and uh, leaving the QuickBooks Pro Advisor program. Um, and she's well loved. Everybody, she's been in the industry for a yeah. long time. So she actually was with the Sleader Group. At one time, yep. and then moved to T. Uh, she was at CPA Academy, then she was at T Sheets, and then joined into it because of the T Sheets acquisition. So she's been really heavily involved in our space. She uh, wrote a nice blog post, but doesn't really hint any hint of where she's going next.
1: Well. Maybe it's going to be practice ignition, just like everybody else seems to be joining.
0: (laughs) If if, if, if you're a massive brand, it feels like you become a, in this industry, you become a practice ignition employee. That's the way it has been the last uh, four to six Uh, weeks. That's for sure the announcements they've been uh, making. Well,
1: Uh, I've got two more app updates. That's it. And
0: I have one, I have a, about Pilot. I don't know if you want to chat about
1: them. Let's talk about Pilot. Yeah, that's one of mine.
0: So my first question is, in this article about Pilot and their press release, there's a sentence and I would like you being the accountant to mm-hmm. explain to me in layman's terms what this means. Okay. okay. So there's a sentence here that says, pilot currently handles the bookkeeping for more than 840 million in run rate revenue. What does that mean?
1: So run rate is annualized. Well, I guess it it can be however you want, but it's what's the best way to describe it? You're taking revenue and saying it's this much per month. So they don't necessarily manage 800 and they said 840 million in run rate revenue. So maybe they're taking their current clients, figuring out how much revenue they have monthly and then annualizing it all.
0: Okay. So, so this is not what they're making revenue. This is like, Hey, all our clients are moving this much money around.
1: I have to be right. That's my guess.
0: Okay. So. This is just like a, a vanity metric for somebody who's not paying attention. They're going to be like, Pilot's doing 840 million a year now?
1: Yeah. That's what you do. Like you say, I, um, as a bookkeeping service, like we are categorizing $100 million of transactions per month or something like that, right? That's a run rate.
0: All right. Because it it's completely out of context. It has nothing to do with the article. They just shoved it in there. So if somebody's scanning it. They're just going to assume Pilot must be doing 140 million. And revenue, yeah. Uh, so anyway, but the article does talk about what they're uh, they've announced. So they're adding so pilot. And we've talked about it before. They're in that same QuickBooks Live, Bookkeeper, um, Scale Factor, bookkeeping as a service, or like I like to say, an accounting firm with engineers under roof. Yep. Right. They're in that same space. They've they've been well funded. They've taken a, a forty million dollars Series B in twenty nineteen. So they're really uh, heading up that ladder. But they're adding three more services now. One R and D tax credits. Right, And they'll help uh, they'll help people track down those tax credits. I know that there's third-party software now that actually does this. And uh, I actually talked to one of the apps once, and they do it in a, in a commission-type structure. Mm-hmm. So the the more tax credits they help you gain, the higher it costs to use that SaaS software. Uh, I thought it was an interesting model. They're going to do CFO services. And then they're um, adding – they just say extended services. And so some of it might be kind of custom reports. Maybe they're doing some – they'll actually send out your invoices for you. Just like more – Bookkeeping services that you might need that
1: cl- a different client may not need. Beyond bookkeeping, right now it's full stack accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, controllership, CFO. They're going to do everything, which makes a lot of sense because why would you leave money on the table? So
0: that is my question: Is this a play because oh we're doing the bookkeeping services so well we're ready to expand into these other services, or are we seeing another possible pivot here the same way we saw Scale Factor two weeks ago? Yeah. Like, like, is this doing is is this model harder than <laughs> any of us realize?
1: We don't know what's going on at any of these companies, but yeah. I mean, I tried my my company, Cloud Source Accounting. We, that was our original business plan was we were going to do what these companies do, and we realize it's really hard. <laughs> you can do it, you can grow, but you're going to grow a lot slower than a software company, right? So it's it's a grind. I think these guys are realizing that it's a grind. It's hard. Nero is not growing at you know an exponential pace. I can pretty much guarantee you that like there's just no way nobody has ever figured out how to take a service business like accounting or bookkeeping and get SaaS metrics out of it it's it's slow but it's very rewarding and it's a great business once you have it because customers are so sticky like it, it lasts forever so you know it just takes a different mentality
0: yeah so so guess to the mindset is if you're having to do services people and having humans do services inside your your company, you might as well try to add on human services that make a lot more money, like CFO services.
1: You might as well, because the the number of clients actually increases the complexity. It's not like when you have like a consumer SaaS business, you know, QuickBooks Online can have millions and millions of people paying $30 a month and they can successfully support those people <laughs> with chat support and phone support and whatever. But like an accounting firm, you actually want to have as few clients as you can and charge them the most you can. So you want to be doing as many things as you can for a small number of clients. Like that's the way you build a profitable business generally. So one, one last thing that I have here, which I don't know how how big a deal this is, but I think it was right after we recorded or maybe just before last week, somebody uh, sent us the status page for Drake software saying that Drake hosted. So the, the, the official hosting for the Drake tax product had been down for two days. And I was just curious, I hadn't heard anything online, but I was just curious and I went over to their status page this morning, a week later, and it looks like they are still continuing to fix it. It's got a yellow performance issues icon uh, next to Drake Hosted and it says under details, we are continuing our phased approach to bringing programs and files back online. So yet another hosting provider going down, we don't know why, during a critical time of year. So I guess my takeaway from that is you know back up all your stuff and have a contingency plan and don't rely on your host to get you back online because it's going to take like 2 weeks.
0: Yeah, this just continues to happen. And I think it's cuz they're targets.
1: And it's not that they can't recover, it's just that it takes a long time to load up all those files again. And that's one thing that we don't have as accountants during tax season. It's a lot of time. So have all the files backed up locally so that you can go and get to work if you need to. So that's it for app news. At least that's all I've got.
0: Uh I just have one article left. Probably the um Zero had their Boss Insights 2020 report out of Australia. What's Wait,
1: what is it called? It's called Zero Boss Insights 2020. Like, boss, like is my, my boss at work? Yeah, like... Well, tell me what the maybe it'll make sense if you tell me what this is. And
0: actually, it's just a headline. I think it's 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 worth calling out. Two th- two thirds of net Australian businesses created in the past decade were founded by women, according to a new Zero report. And I just thought that was worth say, noting. That. Yeah, say that stat again. Right. Two thirds of uh, net Australian businesses created in the past decade were founded by women, according to a new Zero report. That's amazing. So so men are still outnumbering uh, women in business ownership,
1: but the gap's closing. Well, let's talk about Fortnite, David. Your son. How old is your son? One's going to be eleven. One's going to be thirteen. So. And they're they're really into Fortnite, right? Yes. And um, you and know, if
0: you hear the uh, enthusiasm in my
1: voice, how much Fortnite do they play? I'm just curious. Uh, it,
0: it, more than I'm comfortable with. More
1: than you're comfortable. It,
0: with? It, it is a battle. That's for sure.
1: Do they do they buy stuff in Fortnite? Oh yeah. I think the the virtual currency in Fortnite is called V Bucks. How many how many V-Bucks have you paid for? <laughs> a lot. Too many? Too We've many? talked
0: about this, these micropayments, right?
1: They, 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 they add up after a while. So V-Bucks appeared on the IRS website recently, and then it suddenly disappeared. Somebody at CNN was perusing the IRS website page for virtual currency transactions, which uh, is getting attention because the 1040 form has a question on it. Have you heard about this question? Have you done your taxes, David?
0: It's the um, do I own Bitcoin question, right?
1: So, the question is, it's like right at the top. uh, It says, at any time during 2019, did you receive, sell, send, exchange, or otherwise acquire any financial interest in any virtual currency? And that's a big deal because the IRS thus far has not actually asked on the tax forms yes or no to this. They haven't posed this question to taxpayers. And so people who own virtual currency, like Bitcoin in particular, who haven't reported it now are wondering what they should do. And I've been seeing articles online, like, do I answer yes? Do I answer no? Or is the IRS going to, something bad going to happen to me if I lie? And the answer is yes, right? If you answer uh, no to this and you do own virtual currency, that is a crime. <laughs> the IRS can come after you for that. So that's a problem. Uh, And it's creating issues for tax preparers who then have to ask this question of their clients and deal with clients lying or or not being forthcoming and all that stuff. And the the tie-in to virtual currency in video games is that back in October, the IRS website said it mentioned not only Bitcoin, but also Fortnite's V-Bucks on there as examples of virtual currency. So somebody connected the dots and said, "Wait, so the 1040 form is asking me if I bought any virtual currency, and then they're listing Fortnite V Bucks and some other virtual currencies and video games on their website as virtual currencies. So, like, if my kids have virtual currency, I might have to answer yes to this, even though I don't own any Bitcoin. And I thought then, they came out with clarification about this now. Well, so that's what I'm. Ta- that's why I'm, I'm laying the groundwork for that. Oh, okay, okay. But it's not clarification, really. I mean, sort of. So." The IRS, uh, after the story dropped, the IRS scrubbed that from the page. They removed all the references to the video game virtual currencies, and it just was Bitcoin is the only example on there. But then people were still confused because the way the tax code works, unless something is specifically exempted, then it is included. In income. So just because the IRS removed the reference specifically to V-bucks doesn't mean that it still doesn't count. And the IRS rules, the 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 guidance they have issued is that all virtual currencies are property that's taxable. So just because they removed it from their website doesn't mean that you still don't have to answer yes to this question technically. So finally, the commissioner of the IRS made a statement addressed this issue But, you know, it's still not, this still doesn't completely clear up everything. I'll read the quote here. Here's the IRS's full statement. The IRS recognizes that the language on our page potentially caused concern for some taxpayers. We have changed the language in order to lessen any confusion. Transacting in virtual currencies as part of a game that do not leave the game environment, in parentheses, virtual currencies that are not convertible, would not require a taxpayer to indicate this on their tax return. So the IRS is now saying one thing. But the law technically says another thing. Right? They're, they're, they're offering this statement that supposedly clarifies things, but it's not. Like, so basically, the answer is, even if you own virtual currencies in a video game, you can say no, you can answer no to this question, according to the IRS, and they're not going to go after you. But like, technically, they could. And that could be a lie. So it's, it's just all very confusing. And it just points to the fact that the IRS really doesn't know what they're doing on virtual currency yet. And we really need a better way to account for it in the tax code. I got nothing. (laughs) Um, So one more tax related story since we're in tax season. Uh, I spotted this in the wall street journal. Uh, The headline is AI comes to the tax code. And it's all about how tax authorities around the world, including the IRS are leveraging artificial intelligence to identify taxpayers who are not paying enough tax or who are avoiding tax. Some examples, in Brazil, the customs agency is detecting anomalies using AI, and it prompts more than 30% of all inspections. And Canada next month is launching Charlie the Chatbot, an automated system that will respond to inquiries about tax filing. The IRS, meanwhile, is designing machine-built graphs to plot the relationships among participants in business deals, giving auditors a new tool to analyze transactions and detect tax avoidance. The agency is using artificial intelligence to study notes that agency employees take when fielding questions from taxpayers and testing which combinations of formal notices and contacts are most likely to get a taxpayer who owes money to send a check. And there's a quote from the IRS commissioner, Charles Reddig from a conference on artificial intelligence uh, this week at the University of California, Irvine. He said, regarding um, the IRS is now going to go after more high-income individuals who didn't file tax returns. He said, how do you think we found these people? It wasn't on filed returns. These are non-filers. There is a heat map that says where there are concentrations of these people. We have sufficient data on these people. And apparently, the criminal investigations unit is using Palantir technologies, the data mining firm, to identify potential fraud cases. So, they have a contract with Palantir, which they're this like super secretive agency that contracts with the government. There's a rumor online that they helped find Osama bin Laden, Palantir. Wow. And there's another quote from the IRS commissioner. He said, if I get a first name and a cell phone number, you'd be shocked how much information Palantir can provide. So – Get ready because the IRS is using the scariest uh, government agency, <laughs> go, semi-government data mining agency, to identify tax avoidance. So that's that's pretty cool high tech uh, high tech stuff going on. Yeah.
0: But we'll, uh, we'll get through this next <laughs> week about uh, low tech.
1: We got a few more minutes, so I got one more, one more. Right. Um, so the the uh, the Journal of Accountancy had a story about how. Accounting profession leaders called for action against climate change. On Tuesday, February 25th, 14 accounting bodies representing 2.5 million members worldwide, which includes the AICPA, CPA Canada, and CPA Australia, published a call to action urging accounting professionals to put sustainability and the fight against climate change at the forefront of their work. And then I read the statement and like there's no actual specific recommendations for how accountants can help fight against climate change. The best it gets is that they're encouraging us to integrate climate change risk into organizational strategy, finance, operations, and communications, support sustainable decision-making, and provide sound advice and services. So, (laughs) great. The
0: AICPA is distracting accountants again when they should be telling accountants, like, your most important thing to do is two-factor authentication and stop clicking links and and stop getting (laughs) ransomware. Like... Well, That's what they need to... Let's get over that hurdle first, then worry about saving the world.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard a statement from the AICPA on on ransomware or on, um, like you said, on business email compromise recently. Uh, I have a specific recommendation that the AICPA could make to accountants. What's that? How about promoting cloud accounting to enable remote work so that people aren't commuting to the office every day? That would do a heck of a lot if we had millions of accountants that weren't going to the office every day, driving their cars. Ah, work We'd from reduce- home
0: Wednesday for accountants. Yeah.
1: yeah. And also, they're not going to get coronavirus. I think we should start this. We should start a, a, a climate change initiative that is tied to remote work.
0: You know, there's no global warming in accounting land.
1: <laughs> there's There's also no remote work in accounting land. You got to go to the office and you got to be the first to get there and the last to leave because that is what proves that you are the hardest worker in accounting land. And uh, that's all I've got for this week, David. I
0: think that's a wrap. Uh, We did get a review. Should we uh, read the review? yeah.
1: Let's read that review.
0: So this review is on iTunes. It is uh, five stars. Go to source for accounting news. I don't know if it's just me, but I always get a little giddy when the new cloud accounting podcast shows up in my podcast feed. Blake and David do a great job of keeping me up to date on what is going on in the industry and doing it in an entertaining way. Keep up the great work, gents.
1: Josh Lance. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. That's really great to hear. And I got some great feedback this week on LinkedIn from folks connecting with me. It is so great to hear from our listeners, our new listeners. If you're a longtime listener and you really like the story, just you know, let us know. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Blake T Oliver. You can email me at Blake at BlakeOliver.com. And how about you, David?
0: I'm at David Leary on Twitter, and you can find me. I'm David Leary on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I would love to hear what what you think. Intuit should have spent
1: seven point one billion dollars on. <laughs> and actually, David, I want to try something new t- this this uh, this week. I set up a Google Voice number for the Cloud Accounting Podcast. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, we might play it on the air. Tell us what you think, especially about David's question, but it could be about anything on the show. Here's the number. It's 202-695-1040. You like what I did there, David? Ah, sneaky. (laughs) 202-695-1040. Leave us a message and uh, tell us about something you learned, maybe a story we missed, uh, your thoughts on any of our stories. And we will uh, take a listen to that, and maybe you'll hear yourself on the next episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. And I don't know how to check my voicemail on my own phone. Is there a way
0: for me to easily check these voicemails as they come in? Or are we setting some sort of expectations like, hey, leave us
1: messages. We might never get to them. (laughs) Well, no, Google Voice is great. Have you not used Google Voice, David? No. It converts the voicemail into an MP3 file and then emails it to you.
0: Ah, so I could could get like a, a feed, like a podcast player and just get a feed of these as they come in.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to have them forward to both of us, and we'll get to listen to them. Perfect. So until next week, David, have a. What, what, what was it that uh, that blog post said? Keep your feet on the ground and, you're accounting and your accounting in, in the books in the cloud. cloud. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh boy! Time for the classifieds. High Rock Accounting is searching for rock stars. We are a growing accounting firm looking to increase our team. Our ideal candidate will be self-motivated, eager to learn, and grow with the firm. We help businesses succeed by utilizing cutting-edge technology to provide accounting solutions that increase business efficiency and competitiveness. Our goal is simple, enhance accounting operations, improve accuracy, and reduce costs. As a High Rock star, you will be responsible for full-cycle accounting in a cloud environment. Email careers at highrock.co. That's careers at highrock.co. One of the biggest hurdles accounting firms face is finding training that is current and relevant. There is an answer, Elephant Training. Elephant offers webinars and training on Xero, QuickBooks, and cloud-based apps and modern practice management issues like remote leadership and creative compensation. Their instructors are firm owners who also happen to be international experts in cloud accounting. This year, Elephant is offering recordings of their most popular webinars, plus valuable resources in their brand new learning library. You can use code CAP20 for 20% off your subscription. Bulk licenses for firms are also available. Visit ElephantTraining.com for more info. That's ElephantTraining.com. Accountants and bookkeepers, are you itching to make a career pivot and escape the 9-to-5 grind in the busy season stress and start to build your own career path where you work virtually on your own terms? Then you need to get your copy of the newly released Bookkeeping Side Hustle Guidebook and learn actionable steps to become a virtual bookkeeper without the overwhelm. Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get the ebook for 30% off with the code CAP30OFF. Get your copy at bookkeepingsidehustle.com forward slash bookkeeping dash guidebook. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.